0: Welcome to Influencers. Everyone that we speak to is making a difference in the worlds of cycling and micromobility. Some are unsung heroes, others are very well known. Today's guest is in the unsung heroes category. Warren Solomon has a lifetime of achievements across a wide range of areas. Well, Warren, thank you very much for joining me <laughs> on The Influences. Yeah. So let's start at the beginning, as yeah. they say. Yeah. And uh, I believe you grew up in Brisbane. That's right. Uh, tell us when you first uh, discovered the bicycle.
1: Well, um, I think my first bike was, um, I think I got a Christmas present uh, when I was about 11 and it was a 24 inch Melbourne star a green malvern star i should say because green was my favorite color and uh, and it was i was very privileged to grow up on the outskirts of brisbane so this was like a suburb but it was more like a little country town and so the bike was just this fantastic sense of freedom
0: now most australians of your age maybe not most but certainly a lot grew up on a malvern star mm. that wasn't uncommon but a lot of them stopped when they turned 16 and got their driver's yeah, license. Yeah, that's true. But, but you kept going. So.
1: Well, I'm I'm a bit of a, an aberration in that regard because I've only ever owned one car in my life. The beauty of the bicycle is that you're exposed to the elements, you're out there. All right, if it rains, you really are exposed to the elements big time. But you do get to see things and you do get to see more. And I realised actually, particularly early days of bike touring, um, you were really, you were in touch with the, the land and, the, and the, the formations of the earth. One of the things that attracted me to Sydney when I moved to Sydney in 1975 was the inner city and how I could live. Of course in Brisbane, it's a big spread out suburban city. There's no inner city in Brisbane, it's just all suburbia really. And so the distance is along. Canberra's a bit like that too. And um, and so here I am, in Sydney, in the centre of Sydney, in Chippendale, is where I, where I first lived. And I lived when I when I started uh, the work with the printing business. It was probably. I could have walked there, but I could cycle much easier and quicker. I'm not one for status or anything like that, most people would say, you know, it's... Aren't you? <laughs> oh, I just no, no. have to pick myself <laughs> up off the floor. So, you know, it's... it's um, you don't need this big object to sort of say who I am. I suddenly realised that you could live like this, that it was... A, and it was a much better way to live like this. And, and I still think it's that, that way. So you know, it's it's a it's very much a lifestyle choice, and and it's pity, in a way, that people can't make those choices or feel that they can't make those choices. Because I made some conscious choices in my life, uh, particularly the one about living close to where I work. But a lot of time, people feel that don't they can't make those choices, mm. and so that's difficult. And I really feel sorry for young people today with the house prices because you know being that's a really determining factor Mm.
0: i want to focus on a few huge achievements in your life because you really have achieved some pretty amazing milestones (laughs) so the first one i want to talk about is that you founded what i believe is the first ever national non-racing cycling magazine in australia
1: there was no magazine around to to really dealing with non-competitive cycling at all there was national cycling which was a racing cycling the, the uh forerunner of your magazine of bicycling australia and i thought well um it would really be good to sort of help promote this and get get it going that's how we got freewheeling started and freewheeling was we, we printed it in um well, I printed it in the end of 1977 and its first issue came out December-January 1977-78. And, um, and a number of people that were then involved in the bicycle scene contributed articles and um, it went on sale and, uh, and then from then on uh, I published the magazine. The magazine developed as your magazine would have uh, because the market started to develop. But I, I, I am kind of proud in a way that a lot of the things that happened during the 10 years that, that I published Freewheeling um, chronicled a lot of the important changes that were happening. So like for example, the, the, the first ever bike plan in Australia uh, which was the Geelong bike plan in, in 1979, that was, that was chronicled in I think issue eight of the magazine, and also the start of mountain biking. Uh, the very first ever Australian national championships of mountain biking happened in Safala I think in 1984 or something like that. I can't remember the date entirely. but And then also the arrival of um, index gears, would you believe? I mean, <laughs> we all take things things like that for granted yeah. these days, but you know, uh, a very good racing bike in those days wouldn't have had index gears. and uh, and uh, and i like to tell the story that the when i started the magazine the best bike that was in the catalog of one of my advertisers was this absolutely revolting purple bike i mean the color purple the bike was okay but the color purple and it had steel rims (laughs) so that was the top of the market in those days so now today and we're surrounded by amazing carbon fiber you couldn't buy carbon fiber in in the 10 years I I sold the magazine to a publisher publishing company in um, 1989 and at that stage carbon was just starting to look like it was it might be affordable Mm. but before then you know for love or money maybe even the top racer it still was a lot of a lot of big expense, but now it's all production stuff, and index gears, uh, electric gears, um, e-bikes, for example. I didn't really see the start of that, but you know that was what was happening. So it's a really, uh, it, it, I feel kind of privileged in a way to have been
0: through that period. Another thing that I didn't realize that you're actually the co-founder of quite a pioneering bicycle shop as well. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite different to the shops of its day. That's so. right, inner-city cycles. And uh,
1: it was... Um, that was another thing. I, 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 um, I, I had a friend of mine, uh, Dave McLean, who's, who lives in... He runs a, a nice little uh, secondhand bookshop now up in... He's retired up in Newcastle. And Dave was running a small bike shop, more of a repair shop, the kind of thing you get now, but, but you didn't get then in a garage in Annandale and, uh, and we were great mates and, and he said he was looking at maybe expanding the business and, and I said, well, yeah, why don't we start a bike shop together? And there was nothing in Glebe and Glebe was really very much the inner west in those days and, and, and you know, there was a lot, of, a lot of alternative stuff happening then and we thought, well, you know, that's certainly where it'd be a good market. But let's, you know, with my interest in touring and that, I thought, well, let's make it a kind of a specialist touring shop as well as, you know, we, we're not going to be catering for the uh, road races. Uh, we're more going to be catering for the recreation, purely recreational market. Because at that time in Sydney, there were a lot of bike shops out in the suburbs that were established by named bike racers. You know, they used to say when a bike racer, Uh, retires from cycling they set up a bike shop it's a bit like um, you know to to get a cheap source for their habit you know (laughs) and and, uh, so we thought well let's do that so that was 19... uh, uh, just just before 1980 and um, I I did that for two years and um, the reason I got out of it was simply because I was still doing freewheeling at that stage. I'd sold the printing business and I was, I, I had the room upstairs. uh, I was my share of the rent apart from the bike shop and two days a week I would work with others up there, part-time staff, volunteers to put freewheeling together and uh, I wouldn't say it doing running two business at the one time tore me apart but it almost did I felt you know and there was a part where I sort of thought oh I'm not really feeling very good this just life is not I'm not happy sort of thing Mm. and I realized that I had to make a choice Mm. and the choice I made was uh, to do the magazine full-time because
0: Mm. the bike shop would continue and it has continued it's still there You're a great starter of Ah, things, (laughs) which to your credit are still going to this day in most cases and bigger and stronger than ever. That's good, yeah. So let's roll on to the third, if you like, which I would consider a major achievement. And you've already touched on it briefly, which was the Bicycle Institute, later to become Bicycle New South Wales. Mm. So, and I know you've had a couple of episodes of. Deep involvement. In
1: well, yes, so, I've been in and out of that organisation a lot, and I've i joked to someone that I've filled just about every position in the organisation. I've been on the board many times. i i i Well, I've, I've, and in 1993, I became their chief executive. Just to finish that little thread, I had to make the decision about what would, what need, what what I needed to put my energy in. If I left the magazine at that stage it probably would have folded. So I had to do it and I had to professionalise it because basically if... uh, I'm kind of a great believer in if you're going to do something and it's going to work properly, you've got to pay people to do things because you can't do it on your own and if you want to do it more than just do it on your own, you've got to pay people to do it and you've got to reward them. not just financially, but you also got to support them for what they do for the for the business. So then I, I I I got an office in the in the cheaper part of the city and ran the magazine from there. And along the way, um, I started another thing. So the the the, the, the bicycle institute. Um, I, I was during those years. I was involved in the um, in a, events. And, and things like that and and also in the committee and everything like that. But there was a period where I wasn't that involved because I was doing other things. But in 1982, a friend of mine came back from Europe on a bit of a holiday and was raving about this wonderful event that he went on called the London to Brighton Bike Ride. And he's an old touring mate of mine, Nigel Jenkins, and he lives in Melbourne now. And, and, uh, and so we got talking we thought, that's a fantastic event, you know, why, why don't we do something like this? I said, the magazine would support it because all of our readers would love to come on a ride like that because, you know, this is the ultimate in bicycle touring in, in an urban setting. So we took a look around and, and I always joke and say that the route, we didn't find the route, the route found us because it was 92 kilometres was the London to Brighton ride. It was a city to a city or a town to a town. So we started to look around, and Sydney, because it's kind of landlocked by all of this wonderful bush and everything like that, we could either go to Newcastle, too far, or we could go to Wollongong. And when we, when we measured the, the distance, we almost fell off our chairs because it's the same distance, basically. But what a route, because it was absolutely spectacular. And I remember the first ride we did with, with some of our kids and uh, Woman that worked for me at the time, her her son and my son and our partners and we rode down there and we stood down at that Stanwell Tops lookout and we just went, wow, you know this is this is this is going to be good. And so in 1982 we had about modest 250 riders. They had the um, uh, I think the deputy mayor of Sydney launched the event and. Uh, and uh, those 250 riders set off to the 92 kilometres to Wollongong and they had morning tea at Audley and they rode uh, uh, on Lady Carrington Drive, which in those days was, um, you could drive through, but now it's, you know, just off sealed uh, to tra- traffic and only bicycles and walkers. So, and then we, we, we did the rest, and then we brought everybody back on the trains. We brought the bicycles back on the train. We organized, it. everyone got a ticket with the, the state rail at the time, and, and they got back to uh, Sydney. So that was kind of, you know, that's, that, that event now is just started, started things. Well, that event now, they say, the MS Society, I gave the MS Society that event um, after I'd sold the, um, the magazine. But um, uh, that event now nets the MS Society or supports the MS Society. It's one of their major fundraising events. I think, at least a couple of million dollars a year they raise from that event. And I think
0: we should say here that it didn't have two hundred and fifty riders by the time you gave no, the event no, to MS. How many did it well, have? It was,
1: it was. We had some big jumps in in um, in. Uh, uh, the first year that the MS Society was involved, the event was up to around 5,000 and I think by the time I gave the event, donated the event to the uh, to the MS Society, it was getting towards uh, 8, 9, 10. Um, uh, it was around about, the event has been capped at 10 simply because of, of the management of it and the road, and in fact, Probably, if the Emma Society tried to start an event like that on that route today, the the police and the um, traffic authority would say no, no, we're not going to let you. Um,
0: so I think it has to be said, and people watching this would probably be wondering: an event with 10,000 riders that can raise two, three million dollars a year, which I I know mm. independently that yes, that's what they say it raises, mm. that is on a spectacular route that you couldn't probably get approval as a startup Mm. to do now only because it's been going for Mm. decades Mm. that is a really valuable asset oh yeah why did you give it to them and not sell it on the market and make a lot of money well
1: well probably need to go back a little bit because when i sold the magazine i uh, i i had an offer from um uh, one of my one of my top advertisers at the time, Martin Hanley, who ran Hanley Trading. It's one of the, uh, I don't think, Hanley Trading, anyone who's been in the bike trade a a number of years will know Hanley Trading. They used to be Suntour, they used to distribute uh, Mavic, a whole lot of important brands. That's right. And so he offered me a job as marketing manager and I did that for a year but I wasn't really I wasn't really interested so much in the marketing side but the Gong Ride was still running at that time and the MS Society um, uh, was running the event but uh, because I'd given them the event they decided that um, they'd better do something serious about it and be serious about running this event because they realised that it was an asset. Mind you, when I gave them the event I I think I said eight, nine, it was more like 8,000 and the event at that stage hadn't reached the kind of Fundraising input that it has uh, later on, but they could see the pro- they could see the the um, the future, and so uh, Ken Lewis, the marketing manager of the MS, said to me, "Well, we think we've got to do something about this. It's a fabulous event. We're going to set up set up an outdoor events uh, department, fully staffed, and and we're going to run this properly." And I said, "No." Um, who do you think you might get to run that? And he said, oh, we'll advertise for it. And I said, oh, well, you know, if you're interested, keep me in mind, I'd be interested. And he said, oh, I didn't think you, I thought you were happy where you were. And I said, oh, "No, I think I'd be very happy to do something like this on a professional level. When I left the event to the MS Society after i uh, after I uh, moved on from running outdoor events at MS Society, um, They, we, the event we ran that year, um, we had a staff of about 500 trained volunteers that year. Mainly because the previous year, we had some issues with the route management that we, in order to satisfy the police and the road authority, we had to really throw everything at it. So, um, yeah, it's a lot of people.
0: And you're saying you don't have 500 friends, Warren, (laughs) who'll get up at four in the morning?
1: That's right. Yeah. It must be Get up very a Sunday morning it must be very anti-social, you know? I right. think. So, so it was um, you know, the, the it was a great opportunity and so working for MS taught me a lot because um, it taught me about I I was new to to the fundraising um, industry in a sense. I didn't know what MS was really when we started when they started their involvement, I certainly learned, but When you work for an organisation, you actually see the services they do for their clients. You really, it's a, you know, it's a different thing entirely.
0: So getting the chronology right, was it from MS as the events director that you moved to Bicycle New South Wales as the executive officer, chief executive officer? I was with MS for about three and a half years. I seemed
1: to do things in chunks of three, but also this thing of, I'm good at starting things, but I wouldn't say I get bored. I don't get bored at all. But um, I, I, my forte is not building things from that second stage sort of thing. That's where you need somebody who's maybe a good, a much better business person than I am. Someone who can really manage larger organisations than I am. But in those days, for what I was doing,
0: it, it you're, you're a pioneer. And and you you grew Bicycle New South Wales from a very small organisation to a very large, successful one. So I'd like you to well, at the time, at the
1: time I was on the committee, yeah. And um, the organisation had just employed; it it had taken over. Bicycle Victoria came up to New South Wales. Bicycle Victoria was running these nine-day events, the Great Victorian Bike Road, which still runs. And in those days, they were getting starting to get big numbers, and they started to increase their program. So they came up to New South Wales and they said, Hey, Bicycle New South Wales, we'd like you to be involved and help you start a New South Wales version of this. They were doing rides in Tasmania, and also every second year they do one in Tasmania and then one in New Zealand even. And really kind of amazing stuff, what they were doing. And you're getting thousands of people on these rides. And so I was on the committee. I was also working for MS, so they also wanted MS involved as a, uh, a charity. So we started the uh, the Great New South Wales Bike Ride, which ran from in 1980, 1991, um, from Mudgee to Sydney, and got about 800 people, and it was a great success. And uh, I, I was the route manager on that ride. Uh, also, I was, well, I was the MS uh, person on that ride as well. And all the MS staff who worked for me for MS filled professional positions on the ride. And then the following year, the, the biggest ever New South Wales bike ride from uh, Kosciuszko to Sydney uh, had about uh, 1,500 people on it. It was a big jump. Um, I was the, the, the publicity manager. And my uh, operations manager was the event director, sort of thing, for, for the ride. So at that point, um, the uh, Bicycle New South Wales, and I was on the committee at the time, decided that we would like to take this on ourselves and say, thanks very much, Bicycle Victoria, we really appreciate your help. But really, we really think we could do this ourselves from, from now on in. And so in 1993, uh, the third uh, event we uh, Port Macquarie to Sydney. We employed a, an event director, Leonie Watman, and, um, and then um, uh, set off. But unfortunately, at that point, the general manager of the time for Bicycle New South Wales left for various reasons, personal reasons, work and, and stuff like that. He actually got a, went to a better job um because that's one of the things about community groups you know the pay is not wonderful and actually i I thought this is an opportunity to run an organization of which i've spent a lot of my time in and out of and i'm very much interested in its cause and i would like to see it really grow at this critical point because the events thing i saw is really an important way of growing the organization so i Took a massive cut in pay at MS and took up a position as executive director or CEO of Bicycle New South Wales. It was Bicycle Institute New South Wales. We changed a few things. We moved to an office in the city. Um, We grew a number of events. Um, The big New South Wales bike ride went from strength to strength. Uh, We upped the numbers on the one day ride. We started to do advocacy. We employed an advocacy officer.
0: Um, so yeah, it, it um, give us an idea if you don't mind, in terms of measurements of members when you started to when you left a few years later that role, or number of staff when you started to when you finished.
1: Yeah, role. well, I think the staff when when I left at about five, and and when I left it was around about um, uh, close to eleven, and there were. Other part time, there were part timers as well. But we also had this volunteer program Mm. that was really important because we would get people coming in and helping us work in the office on the events and work on other parts of the organization. So, because the thing about a community organization, you can do that. It's very difficult when you're running a for profit organization to convince people. That, that you know, you got no cause, and mm. people will work for a cause, and they'll volunteer for a cause. So, you know, we had a lot of wonderful people that actually um, came and, and helped. So um, there were, yeah, it was we, we had a it was a quite a big office we had in the city in a in a, a building in Castle Street, which was directly across from the Ministry of Transport, which is mm. where we really wanted to be. We, we mm. you know we wanted to 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 be a player basically. And-
0: and I know it was very tough it's it's tough today, but it was mm. perhaps even tougher back then to get political wins and wins on the ground yeah. for cycling yeah. but if you had to name one or two of your your best wins in that era, what would you like to
1: well well the, the one i'm the one I think uh, that i'm most proud of is the free bicycle travel on trains in New South Wales, and that came about simply because we we took a We took a stand. I mean, bicycle groups run election campaigns at at uh, election time, and generally, what happens is they survey the parties, they then tell their members what is on offer, and they say you make up you make a decision. But we said no. This is a critical moment for us, and we 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 want to get the best offer, and we actually. Uh, the, the Liberal Party had been in um, for a number of years, and Bruce Baird, actually uh, Mike Baird's father, was the Minister for Transport, Roads and Transport. And when we went to the government and said, "Show us your policy," they gave us a little blue booklet that the RTA, pub, the Roads and Traffic Authority at the time, published, which was all of their wonderful things about cycling, and it really wasn't much at all. It was pretty, you know, small, small stuff. And we said, no, 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 Um, we want your policy, the Liberal Party policy. What's your policy? And they said, no, 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 we're the government, that's our policy. Now, you know, anyone who knows the way the political system works is, that's not the way to approach anything, really. At an election, you're really putting your pitch to to the community. You're saying, this is why you need to vote for us. If we said, well, we're not really happy with what the government has done, that's okay, Liberal Party. You tell us now what you want to do. And so, um, it, you know, it was very disappointing. And so we went to the Labour Party and they said, well, what do you want? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so we we listed a whole lot of things we wanted.
0: right?
1: And one of those was uh, free uh, travel on bicycle because at the time, you had to pay a child's fare to take your bicycle on a train. And I mean, it wasn't as if bicycles were... Um, we're going to clog up the train system. It just wasn't happening. Mm. But it was really a damn inconvenience for you to, to actually take your bike. Sure, if you went to the country or something like that, you had to pay a, a fee, as, you, as you, you still do. But suburban travel, it should be able to help you to get to work, to, to use the bike as a mode share type arrangement. So we put out a... Um, we put out a campaign, we did a campaign, we call it a, a message in a bottle. We, the pitch to the media was a, a, a bicycle uh, bidden right. water bottle with our press release inside right. it. And okay. we gave it, everyone in the media one of those and we, we held a, a press conference and we said this is who we think our members And the citizens, the bike riding citizens of New South Wales, should vote for
0: So I'd like to finish with one other thing that you've pioneered. And to the best of my knowledge, you were possibly the first to set up a professional specialist cycling consultancy business. Mm -hmm. Um, So just tell us a little bit about that, which is...
1: Yeah, well, um, that's that's another thing that you could say. I, I could start it, but at the end of... When I left Bicycle New South Wales, um, I think um, people have said, well, why did you leave Bicycle New South Wales? Basically, I think uh, when you're working at red-hot, white-hot fever pitch for three and a half years, uh, I was pretty close to being burned out. I, I was, you know, these things happen in community groups. And um, I was I was very happy with the organisation as I left it, and it certainly went on from strength to strength. uh, But I wanted to do other things as well. And I'd been on government committees. I was a member of the... um, uh, I was president of the Bicycle Federation during my time, which is the amalgamation of the cycling organisations, Bicycle Victoria, Bicycle New South Wales, Uh, for a number of years. uh, I'd been to... uh, For years, I'd been going to the Velo City International Bicycle Conference in Europe and I'd been on government committees, I'd been on road safety committees, I'd, I was also uh, representative on the Australian Bicycle Council, which was actually due to my uh, being president of the Bicycle Federation. So uh, I'd spent a lot of my time seriously looking at this whole issue of bicycle as a transport mode. So. Yes, I've got my touring background and I'd always continue to, to be touring, but being involved in the Bicycle in New South Wales, one of the things you realise in an organisation that's, that's out there that's seeing all these potholes and doesn't like what they're seeing and they're finding it difficult to cycle, they come at you and they say, Come on, you've got to make things better. You've got to get onto the government. You've got to get them to do things. And by golly, that's, you know, anyone who's tried to get make governments do things that they ne- don't necessarily want to do, that's a difficult
0: thing. So, so you've been running sustainable transport consultants for 24 years now, I believe. Mm. And And what do you think some of the keys you've you've learnt and been able to do for Australia and the cycling community through your work as a consultant?
1: One of the most important things we did, myself and a colleague, a Dutch colleague called Dick der Doel, and I, were invited by the RTA at the time
0: to... The Roads and and Traffic
1: Authority, Authority. became Roads Roads and Maritime Services, and now Transport for New South Wales, to author a new guidelines for cycling in New South Wales. And that really came about because one of the first jobs I did for the the RTA was to do a, a consultation, statewide consultation for a bike plan that, that, that the Labor government had actually instigated. And so um, the guidelines were important because there were things happening. The, the councils were getting funding from the government to to build things, so there was things being built. And the government realised that the national guidelines weren't all that good and they would need to... We needed something in, in our state to, to really give the, the right direction for the practitioners to actually build the right kind of facilities that were going to be right for the cyclists. So we did that. We based a lot of it on knowledge of what we'd seen overseas and what we knew of the, particularly the Dutch guidelines. We were very much influenced by by the, their guidelines and also the Germans and also uh, what was happening even in the UK and the United States. Although those two countries are still pretty much sort of car countries really, you know, it's the Europeans that are really, that understand the way it works. And just going back to what I was saying before, the important thing that I guess I added to it all was the perspective of the, the view from behind the handlebars rather than the view from behind the windscreen. Mm. And one of the things that the, the general manager of bicycles and, and pedestrians at, at, at RTA at the time said after we'd done the Guidelines was that I want to roll out a training course that's going to teach our graduates and our practitioners all about these guidelines because it's no sense in just dumping that out there because they won't read it, they won't understand it, and they also probably most of them have never ridden a bike before. So we need to do this. So in 2003, we started the training course that's called Designing for Bicycles for Pedestrians and Bicycle Riders. And we've been running it ever since. I think, in fact, in May, we've probably had about 2,000 people through it now, and we've also helped start courses in Queensland and also in the ACT. But the importance of that, Phil, is that you know you can nothing works in a vacuum sort of thing. You know, we realise that there's a process of doing things. Infrastructure doesn't appear with a wave of magic wand. It happens because trained people design things, and then skill, train people, build things. And in my area, I'm seeing, quite excitedly, seeing um, a a cycleway being built through Bondi Junction at the moment that I never ever thought would happen. Um, But now councils are doing it and the government's funding them, and it's really good. But I guess the thing is getting that perspective. We always say the training course is really important because we run practical sessions in that training course the people come up to us after and said, you know, I really appreciate that course because you got us out there walking and on a bike. And I saw things that I really never see, saw before because, well, you know, I'm sitting in an office and, and I don't do much riding. And so, yeah, so it was kind of, you know, revelatory for them because they suddenly got it this is how this is why we're doing this this is how we need to do things like this so i guess in a way i know i always say to friends it's not rocket science i mean i've learned a lot i always say my my uh, english expression has become very bureauc, bureauc- bureaucraties because i've hung <laughs> around too much with bureaucrats and uh, engineers now mm. uh, but you know you've got to speak the lingo you've got to understand how. Th- how the practitioners see the world, and then translate the world for the cyclist. So in a sense, I'm a kind of a middleman for getting those those, engineers, trained people, professional people, to really produce the kind of facilities that are going to work for the users.
0: Well, I must say that as one of the 2,000 people who've actually done that course (laughs) myself, what an eye-opener it was even for me after years of experience in the field and even more so an eye-opener as to the low level of experience of those people surrounding me doing that course and how important it was I can absolutely vouch for 100%. I just want to finish with one final question and that's looking to the future you know where where do you think we're at and what what um you know you've got an almost 50-year perspective on, on change but what what sort of changes do you think we might be hoping to achieve in the next years ahead
1: well I'm always I'm the eternal optimist um, I mean in the last 50 years you know to, to come through the last 50 years um, there are, there are times when I figure you've got to be an optimist in order to sort of move <laughs> forward sort of thing but what I've seen is um, when I first went to Europe and I came back to Australia, I said to some friends in the game, I said, I've seen the future, right? And the more time goes on, the more the future takes shape in the place where I live. Now, I was part of the design team that produced the uh, Burke Street Cycleway in Surrey Hills for the city of Sydney. and. We were running the training courses in 2003, there was nothing like that there. And then nowadays, now that's there. And every time we go and visit that facility as part of the training course, more and more people we see riding. So in a way, the future has landed in Sydney. But one of the things I guess that really needs to change, and it is changing, and that's the exciting thing, you can sense it, is that particularly after all the COVID thing has changed, it's a it's a really, a, a, a very much a, a life-changing event for a lot of people and for the culture as, as such, because it's made us think about the way we do things. And the way we do things is not necessarily the way we've done things in the past. We can do things differently. And work, for example, working at home. Who would have thought that was possible? But now it's been proven it does work, sort of thing. Also with cycling cycling does work and all these pop-ups and all of these people buying bikes and bike shops and everything have proven that actually yeah if you've got a um you know people coming in buying bikes getting out and actually riding the bikes then you've got a whole game changer happening here so i think actually you know we're in a really exciting um situation at the moment i think it's you know i think the years ahead are going to be very interesting and very very um uh, you know, from a cycling perspective, very enjoyable.
0: I I hope so too. (laughs) Warren Solomon, thanks very much for coming on. Thank you very much, Phil. Appreciate it. Pleasure.